Ava Hartling. Welcome back to the Brand is Female podcast. This week, I'm in conversation with Vivian McCormick, who is not your average entrepreneur. Co-founder of Willet, a Canadian retailer renowned for its 100% European linen bedding and home goods, she is a dynamic force in the world of business, but her journey goes far beyond commerce. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help you. Are you ready to be inspired and connected? I'm really excited to share that we have officially launched the Brand is Female Conversation Series. Come and join us for a monthly conference that's changing the game in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto. Engage with fellow women thought leaders, innovators, and visionaries. Get ready for insightful discussions and powerful networking opportunities presented by TD Women in Enterprise. Don't miss out on this opportunity to elevate your career and your network. Visit our website, go to the events section, and secure your spot today. I can't wait to meet you in person. In her own words, she's a recovering lawyer, community builder, and trusted advisor to fellow entrepreneurs. Vivian's story is one of transformation and unwavering dedication. In this episode today, she shares her inspiring journey and invaluable insights. Vivian's vision for Willett has always been crystal clear to solve problems surrounding rest and create a leading rest-focused lifestyle brand. She emphasizes the importance of setting both short-term and long-term goals in entrepreneurship. Choosing the right partners and agencies is another critical aspect of her success. Vivian offers her wisdom on finding partners that align with your brand's vision and resources. Transparency and community engagement have been paramount in Willett's journey. Vivian's open communication and behind-the-scenes content have endeared the brand to its audience. Throughout her entrepreneurial career, Vivian has championed clarity in communication, ensuring that customers understand what's changing and what remains the same. Learn how Willet retained its core customers while evolving its product line. In this conversation with Vivian, she shares her incredible journey from a legal career to becoming a visionary entrepreneur, community builder, and trusted advisor. Here is our conversation. Vivian, it's a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female. Thanks for making time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to get into everything that your brand is about and your journey building the brand. But before we get into that, I always start these conversations by asking my guests to kind of go back down memory lane a little bit. And I want to know growing up, what kind of career were you envisioning for yourself? What were you dreaming of doing uh, from a professional standpoint later in life? Oh my goodness. You know, it's funny. I, I don't even think that I can pinpoint, you know, exactly what I wanted to do when I was young. I probably had, you know, four or five different things. I have a toddler now. And so I think about whether or not he's going to remember, you know, what he wants to be and and the things he says, because I certainly don't. I, I, I think my earliest, you know, memories probably, um, high school age, I think, um, my background, you know, my, my parents both immigrated to Canada, um, for university and mm. I come from a family where being a professional, you know, the five, five or six different professions that you could go into were kind of the ones that we were yeah. uh, directed towards at an early age. Doctor, engineer, lawyer, <laughs> yeah, dentist maybe, but like, yeah, exactly. Lawyer. Um, uh, and so I, my, my father, my dad is a, my dad is a physician and, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I was ever going to do that. And I think I knew that, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't for me, but I did uh, oldest child in a Chinese family. I definitely did internalize the need to become a professional. So that was always the path I was sort of headed on. And, um, I started with a business degree, uh, from UBC here in Vancouver and went straight into law school after that. And, in, in, during my, during my undergrad for business, I followed a couple paths, but very quickly, my brain didn't really work for accounting still doesn't sadly, <laughs> but, um, so accounting that, was pretty that would quick. have come in handy for running a business, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thankfully I have a lot of help. Um, but you know, accounting and finance was sort of not my, didn't feel like my strongest point. 
And so um, I actually found, found I was following the path of um, collective bargaining and labor relations um, because I followed it. I did a human resources major. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, I think human resources these days, they don't even call it that. I don't, most places call it something else now, but it's so different than when I was there. And so when I was learning about human resources per se, I was drawn to the, the, the labor relations side of it, which is what led me actually to decide that I was going to go and pursue a a law degree as well. Um, And then once I got to law, I was both studying that aspect of the law. I was very interested in it. Uh, There are perhaps a smaller group of people who practice in that practice area. So when I actually got into um, articling and practicing, I, I started at a very big law firm that did everything. So I got to try a little bit of everything. And I ended up actually more on the business side of things. So real estate, right. the first thing I did, I did that for a couple of years and then it transitioned into actually doing more on the banking side. So I was helping with loans and helping both banks and borrowers with their loans. And that was my, that was my legal career for about 10 years. I did that in private practice for five. And then I went and joined the Business Development Bank of Canada, headquartered mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Montreal. Uh, BDC. Where I a, spent time as well earlier in my career. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and it was really the first time that I had uh, realized that the BDC and their mandate was really to serve entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. I would say that's an interesting turn in my winding path of a career, I didn't know that much, frankly, about entrepreneurs and business owners, because I think growing up, anybody we knew in our, in our community who was a business owner, I knew a little bit about it, but I never really learned that much about what they, what they went through all the time. And so this was really a good start for me to get to work. I wasn't working directly with entrepreneurs. I was working with the bankers who were um, helping them with uh, growing their businesses. It often meant that I was looking at things that were barriers sometimes to Mm. be able to give a loan to an entrepreneur. And I would say that also started my mind thinking through what barriers are insurmountable and what barriers are really just sometimes a function of an entrepreneur not having the proper tools in place to be able to be ready for finance. Yeah. yeah. Right. So then I got the bright idea. I was, I was getting to the point where I, I wanted to make a change. I had always been, I felt like each career step was pointing me more in the direction of business and less in the direction of law. So at that point, um, 2016, sorry, is when I started to just do some consulting with entrepreneurs, mm. actually mm-hmm. try to help them operationally and perhaps in from a finance perspective, be more prepared to seek financing because that's oh, interesting. That, I, that I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mostly women entrepreneurs actually. Mm. And so I would often, because of my legal background and understanding how to structure the business itself, I would oftentimes start with people when they were, they had an idea, they weren't sure what next steps to take. They weren't sure how to prepare for financing. Um, or they wouldn't, they actually didn't even know necessarily that financing the business was the right thing to do. I think, I'm not sure if you encounter this, but I find there's a, a larger group to me of women entrepreneurs who think that the only way to start the business is to do it with their own funds. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really chilling effect on, Mm -hmm women starting business. So mm-hmm. part of what I was doing when I was consulting with, with female entrepreneurs was to really open up the spectrum of what the puzzle could be for financing mm-hmm. and have people understand that, listen, it's not only a good thing to borrow or raise money for a business, because I think it actually makes you have to think through the business mechanics and sell it to someone. Yeah. I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs who actually do come from enough capital to do it themselves. And that's not always great because there's no sounding board. You're just Mm -hmm. doing this thing. And then you don't understand why a year later, all your money is gone and nobody wanted the thing that you (laughs) wanted to put out there. So sadly. Yeah. And so that was um, my foray, I guess you could say into uh, working with entrepreneurs Maybe considering being one myself, but honestly, still mm-hmm. not. I've always been a service-based person. And so mm-hmm. the idea of it, other than 
late at night in my office when I was thinking about what else can I do to, to not practice law anymore. It would never really dawned on me to, to go into a, a product-based business necessarily. Right. And that's where my partners come in. Well, I want to hear that story. Before we get into that, who were role models to you? Who was a source of inspiration? And maybe this was earlier, you know, in your career when you were still doing law or maybe, you know, as time went by and you crossed paths with a lot of entrepreneurs. But I'm always interested in understanding, you know, what role representation plays in the decisions we make around our career and our business. And often for women, there's a lack of role models who are women doing, you know, yeah. amazing things because we don't hear about a lot of them as compared to, you know, the number of men that, that we hear about when it's, uh, when it's usually a story about somebody's business being so successful. Yeah, that's a great question. And at the time, this would have been in the years 2016 through 2019, let's say, I think if I go back towards the, the legal days, I would say when I was thinking about why I was a little bit less passionate about law and thinking more about business, I always take the approach to get as much information as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I set up a lot. I reached out to a lot of, at that time, you know, corporate counsel. So people who were high up in legal fields in companies of various sizes. I just wanted to understand what their day-to-day -day looked like compared to what my day-to-day -day looked like at the time. And that was very helpful because I did get to think through if I, why it was that I wanted to move in that direction. And it was because I actually wanted to see how business was operating on the inside rather than a lot of times in, in law, you're often brought in kind of towards the end. And a lot of right. times to yeah. do the work, you know, yeah. and, and um, in a very quick period of time. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to see a lot of what's happening in the decision-making. And also mm -hmm. as a lawyer, you're oftentimes not, um, you're not really playing a huge part in the decision-making other than to set out the options for the client. Right. And then they're the ones that have to make the decision. So I was gravitating right. more towards how do you get involved with your legal brain and actually help make decisions. So that was the first step. And I think there were actually quite a few, most of the corporate counsel that I met up with were women. And I also, at the time, there was a bit of a battle internally, I think, about watching women exit the private practice side mm. of the law and wondering, I didn't want to run from it. I wanted to move towards something. So I was trying to figure out, you know, why did these women move? How did they end up here? And that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, when I took my role at the BDC, I had done it realizing that it was that I was wanting to move towards understanding how the business internally was working. And mm -hmm. the banking industry, I already knew. So going to the BDC made sense and understanding their mandate um, and how to put banking um, products in place to facilitate that mandate which industries were we needing to support on which years, depending on what was happening in the uh, economic climate. Mm -hmm. Very interesting to me. So a yeah. lot of problem solving on that front. And I think that's what it is. is it's more the, the, the idea of problem solving ahead of just mm -hmm. drafting documents was interesting to me. Yeah, which, which is what entrepreneurs do a lot of. Exactly. And I think the thing I battle today is that so often our job just starts with a blank page. And that's not what law was like at all. Law was yeah. always precedent. Here's a document that's already been drafted. You just need mm -hmm. to think through whether it works for you. This is a, such a different beast. Mm. So interesting. From, yeah, and then from from in from from acting as in-house counsel to actually you know consulting and entrepreneurship, I would say, quite honestly, at the time, as I was, let's say, if you're just dipping your toes into it. Most of what it was, was successful male founders mm -hmm. listening to every startup podcast I could find at that yeah. point because I was so interested in it. And so a lot of, you know, how I built this and yeah, and, uh, even the part, there was a podcast called startup and it was really mm -hmm. fascinating that the different seasons focus on different themes. And I, I was just it, taking it all in. But at mm -hmm. that time, I would say my frame of reference was mostly male founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we started the business, there were a lot of female role model and more counterparts, you know, other founders who were in the same position or ahead of us 
And then I started to see, you know, the bigger ones. So Joanna Griffiths of NYX and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot more in that, in that time, 2016 through 2019, there was a lot more discussion, mm-hmm. female mm-hmm. founders, Glossier, you know, yeah. That's when the movement started, it feels like, or it became more mainstream. It is when it started. And I think there's been many times over the course of this six years where when it's up, it's fantastic. And when it's down, you think, what was I thinking doing this? But I think back to it. And I think it's because when that movement started, you did feel actually like this was a groundswell that Mm -hmm. you wanted to join Mm -hmm. and would have support. Yeah in joining. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really what, and I, I also think if, if I think back to the very first days, like 2017, when we were talking about doing this, we were cautious about a lot of things, but it wasn't at all that I couldn't see other people doing it. There were, Mm -hmm. there were millions of people doing it already. Mm -hmm. It was your own personal things, you know, how are we going to, are we, are we, are we risk taking enough to do this? But it was never a, oh, I don't think this is for women. Um, I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it was, that was never a doubt right. in my mind. Uh, in fact, it also looked like something that was more sustainable, perhaps from, um, life perspective Mm. than perhaps some of the more traditional careers I'd already been in. Well, and that's interesting. That comes up a lot. I mean, you talked about women who had left uh, private law practice. Yeah. uh, And I think oftentimes these decisions are, you know, made because of family choices, right? It's, it can, it can be hard uh, prioritizing family and having a high powered career in a law firm, especially if you're on partner track. And uh, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs choosing to have their own business just allows us to kind of create the life we want to have. Right. And we can make space for, for other things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, by no fault of their own, I would say I was at one of the largest law firms in Canada and um, many of the female partners, it, it wasn't necessarily a reflection of how I thought my life could go or would go. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I just couldn't see it necessarily being done and balanced the way that I would necessarily want. Yeah. 15 years later, I am a lot less naive about how it all gets put together. Yeah. And I think had I continued down that path, that's exactly where I would be. And I would be mm. perfectly content with how that was being balanced. Right. But at the time I just thought to myself, um, a few things I recognize very quickly, uh, the nature in which I worked in, uh, industries like that. And mm-hmm. I knew what I mean is that I knew that I'm, I'm a bit of a, I don't like the term workaholic, but I like to work. I do yeah. like to work. And mm-hmm. so being in that industry, I recognize that it was very possible that I wasn't going to be able to put it down mm-hmm. when I needed to put it down. And I was a bit scared of that. Mm-hmm. I was a bit scared of, of it taking over. Yeah. And so that was part of it. But again, I was really, really didn't want to run from that because there's also this place where you get to, where you think, well, it's partner track time. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to say that I can't do this, or I don't really want people to think I can't do this. I can, it's just a choice. And so Mm -hmm. I had to figure out how to make that choice in a way that felt right for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and now let's get to the part where you met your co-founders. Yeah. What was that meeting like and what happened next? So I have actually known my co-founders. One of them I've known since our first day at law school, which I'm not going to tell you the year very long ago. (laughs) And the other we met at this point, uh, about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. And so uh, I have two co-founders. Yeah, it it wasn't a new meeting, but it was a new discussion about what we might do together. So we had been friends for quite a while. My co-founder, Anna, who is the one who was the the originator of the idea, she was the uh, manager of a cafe here in Vancouver that a lot of us went to 
for lunch, for coffee, et cetera, et cetera. And her job was to know everyone who came through the door. And so that's how our friendship developed. And, and our, our other partner, Juana, who I have known since law school, we would often meet there. And we would take long lunches because we just didn't really want to go back to our offices. And so that's how we <laughs> got to know Anna. And so Anna had in 2017 purchased a bed and had, we had, we were, we were purchasing, you know, the mattress at the time was, we were getting into that online bed in a box, you know, mm-hmm. everybody was doing it. So right. I had one, I encouraged her to order that way. And so she did. And she said, it was so easy. That was so mm-hmm. easy to get a bed. And now I'm looking for bedding and I can't find what I want. So true. And I was like, well, what do you want? It's how hard can it be to get bedding yeah. everywhere? And yeah. You know, Anna um, has always been very in tune with apparel and natural mm-hmm. fiber and, and always understood what her clothes were made of. And I really never paid that much attention. Right. And so she said, I want linen bedding because I sleep very hot and I toss and turn all night mm-hmm. because my bedding is too hot. Right. So I know that linen is breathable and I know that it will regulate my temperature. And so I want linen bedding. Mm-hmm. I can't find it anywhere. I've gone to the so store hard to find. Yeah. And I've gone to the store. It's, ex- it's as expensive as the mattress. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I've gone online. I, there's too much to pick from. And then a lot of what I have to pick from is from outside of the country. Mm-hmm. So I have to pay for an exchange. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the duties will be when they get here. I don't know how much the shipping is going to be. And mm-hmm. it just keeps adding up. Yeah. And at the time, Anna was not an online shopper and Juan and I were. So we said, I think you maybe just don't know where to look. Like, I'm sure we can find this for you. So we went away, did a little bit of research and realized she was right. And so like most entrepreneur stories, we thought, well, let's just, instead of, instead of, you know, bringing in one for you, why don't we bring in 200 and see what happens and see if there's a business there. Yeah. And, and so that's how it all started. The thing about the three of us is that for the really big decisions, Mm -hmm. people ask us all the time, what's it like with three co-founders? How hard is it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're a bit of a three headed monster for anybody who has to work with us, but we work really, really, really hard. Not Mm -hmm. that we've had, we've, we've gone through coaching. We just, it was really important for us to make sure that that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. When it comes to big decisions, we're very fast. Mm-hmm. we're usually aligned almost immediately. And this was the beginning of that. You know, we sat down, we came back together and we said, yeah, you know what? You're right. And I think this is what we should do about it. And then we were off to the mm-hmm. races from there. So. It's funny. I just heard the same thing from a duo of co-founders. Yeah. I interviewed, they said the same thing. They're extremely aligned when it's you know, really big decisions that impact mm-hmm. you know, the future of the business. And then they, where, where they butt heads is the small details, like what color is our waiting room yeah. or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember. Um, so when we first decided to start the business and we found our first supplier, we traveled, we mm-hmm. traveled to go and see them because yeah. we wanted to make sure that we were aligned with them too. Mm-hmm was so important to us. And at the time, you know, it was this tiny order really relative to what we do now, but it was so important. So I remember we were in an Airbnb during that trip and we had one particular, it was the beginning of, and now we joke about it. It was a, it was a a very heated discussion about the color white and which color white we wanted. Which shade of white. Which yeah. shade of white to the, to the point where I finally just threw my hands up and I was like, I no longer make color decisions. So for the rest <laughs> of the time of this business, do not talk to me about color because I'm out. I'm out. Um, and so that's the other thing too, is we kind of know now when, when you know, what's important mm-hmm. to us. each of us. Mm-hmm. We're clear about that and then can move You've on. defined kind of your lanes, right? <laughs> you have to. Mm-hmm. You have to. So that's how it started. It, you just mentioned traveling to mean suppliers. How hard was it? I mean, you were creating, and it's crazy to think that there wasn't already more of an offering uh, around betting. And it sounds like something so basic because everybody uses it. We spend more money now on outfitting our homes and yes. quality of materials, provenance, yes. uh, sustainability element are so important, mm-hmm. you know, to really any anyone, but especially uh, Generation Y and millennials, you know. 
And it's crazy to think that there wasn't already more offering. So kudos to you for, you know, seeing the opportunity and going after it. But how hard was it kind of finding suppliers? And if I'm not mistaken, like none of you had experience in that specific industry. Um, Was it a challenge? Were there any barriers just trying to get your product made the right way? So it wasn't, it was very interesting. You're right. We have no background. That first trip was the first time I'd ever been in a manufacturer's, you know, location ever. I'd never seen what was happening back there. And you're right also about the offering being, people ask us oftentimes, you know, what is the differentiating factor here really? Because there's Mm -hmm. so much betting. That's, that's undeniable. But what we can pull out is to say, as you, as you rightly pointed out, I think there's a lot of supply in sort of the really like basic needs met bedding, right? You can get it from anywhere. And then I do think there is a, uh, the owner of, um, of the modern home in some cases is more interested in where these things are coming from, what they're made of, all of these things. So that's the market we play in. It's a, it is, it is, it is definitely a more upmarket place. Yeah. And that's where we saw the gap. There yeah. was definitely no gap in the in the other in, in the, the basic, other. yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely not, right? Yeah, if you need white sheets, you don't care if they're part polyester or whatever, you know, you can get per, per kale, you'll find them exactly. You could walk into a store in your neighborhood and walk out, and go with Amazon, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we didn't. We we were we were quite fortunate, and I think have a good skill set, notwithstanding that we weren't we weren't necessarily well-versed in production uh, Mm -hmm. or procurement or anything like that. But we, we were able to find suppliers fairly quickly. The internet really helps for that. And then we went through the process of sampling and figuring out who we Mm -hmm. might want to go with and then, and then made a decision. Were there any barriers? I would say the, the, the production process, actually, every time we commercialize something, there are always hiccups along the way. It, right. it just right. is uh, a, a, part of, a part of the process always. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first sourcing was, you know, we were very happy once we traveled to meet the family-run factory we were working with. It, everything felt quite good. So... Mm-hmm came home, made that first order, you know, and then we had to learn about importing and all of these other things that we'd never done before. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think luckily my background at least, and, and Juana's as well, we, we read the fine print a lot. Um, we're used to it. So it wasn't daunting to have to get through figuring out the importing process and all the other pieces of it. Freight forwarding is, is complicated as well, but yeah. we found the right partners. And I think that this is where I would say it was very important for us to, to reach out to fellow founders, other people in an in industry that would involve importing textiles and just learn from them. Mm-hmm. And people, what, what I'm, what I'm very uh, fortunate, what we're very fortunate for is that the people we re- reached out to a lot of women were absolutely floor to be able to help. And that's the part that made it feel, it felt easy, right? Easier than it should have probably, you know, mm. because we just started asking and, yeah. and then all of a sudden the hive mind comes together and you mm-hmm. are being told, talk to this person for this, talk to this person for this. And, and, and all of that has actually formed the basis of how we build community. Now we yeah. made sure to pay that forward. We've made sure to, and we're always asking, I think we're, we're, we're both a mentor and a mentee at all times. Mm, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's the position we sit in and we're very lucky to be building a community of people who play both roles mm-hmm. also for us. Mm-hmm. This season of the brand is female is made possible with the support of TD women in enterprise and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business.
it, it's so interesting you bring that. I mean, that's been a kind of a recurring theme in women who come on the show for, for these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you'll get more support than you expect when you start asking, right? And we're so hardwired as women to think we can figure everything out on our own and we're afraid to ask for help. But once we do, so many hands are, you know, being put forward. Yeah. Um, and I love what you're bringing up about being a mentor and a mentee. I think often mm-hmm. when we think we're helping somebody else, we end up getting so much more as a result. So that's interesting. Too. Yeah. I've, I've been a mentor for the, I was a mentor with the forum for a few years, mm-hmm. I've had some great mentees. And I found a lot of the time too, you think, what could I possibly have to pass on to the, what knowledge could I possibly have yeah. to pass on? And then you start, you, you have their questions and you realize, Oh, I actually do know. I do. I, I know a few things. I know a few things. Um, but also sometimes some of the questions they would ask me would have me think about our business. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, of course. every time I walked away with having left them with some things that they could think about and also some things that I could think about, which mm-hmm. I think is a great a, a sign of a great um, mentor-mentee relationship. Absolutely. Um, what, what was the first moment where you realized that this was going to be a successful venture and, you know, you're, you had clients wanting to, to buy this bedding from you. What was kind of the, the turning point? That's interesting. I think there have been a couple and I also hope there will be many more. Yeah. Because I think that every time we've moved up a level and unlocked something, it then comes with more challenge. Yeah. And then you wonder if it is actually a thing yeah. or not. Yeah. Was the rest of it luck? I don't know. But I do think the first, you know, the first month or so after we launched, we had an incredible response from our local community. You know, I think there's something to be said. I'm so in awe of people who start businesses right out of school or while they're in school. Like that is definitely not what I was doing in university. I was not spending my free time thinking about that. But I'm so, I'm so in awe of that. And, and, but at the same time for us, we started our business, you know, in our thirties mm-hmm. and it meant having a network yeah. of people. Yeah. And yeah. So we really were that able helps. to turn on, yeah. Lean on that network. A lot of them professionals, yeah. a lot of them in the demographic because our, our, our target customer, when we put this all together was us. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of people in that initial, those initial days where the support just came. And everybody was pre-ordering. We were waiting for that shipment to come. Amazing. And so we sold it on pre-order and the, the you know, we, we, we kind of didn't give a lot of people a choice. Let's mm. put it that way too. Right? <laughs> you know, support I us. know you, you're buying bedding from yeah, me. Yeah, here you go. Um, we joke about the fact that Anna would sell sheets alongside coffee all the time. <laughs> kind of true. But the nicest thing about that was that we have you and I have chatted about this. We've, we have an incredible repeat customer rate, but a lot of them are our early days customers who came back, who are our friends actually admitted to us that they really supported us by buying in the first instance, they weren't necessarily convinced they needed linen bedding, but they thought, well, you know, you did a thing. And then they came back because they did love it. They fell in love with the product. That's when I feel success. That's when I feel that we've accomplished something. Yeah. That was the first one. And then I would say for us in 2020, it was a bit of a watershed moment, Mm. you know, unlike some of the other brands that really suffered from, uh, from the pandemic, it was a bit of the opposite for us because everybody was at home, really looking around their home, figuring out Mm. how to level up if they were going to be there. Uh, so we did, you know, we did have that watershed due to the pandemic for sure. And at the time, that that year in 2020 was really interesting because the hardest thing we had to contend with was making sure we had enough supply. Mm-hmm. And shipping was so difficult at the time. And mm-hmm. so we we just moved heaven and earth to try to get enough product here and, and ended the year very successfully. And then we did sit and look at each other at that point and, and said, okay, I think we have something here. We weren't even significantly advertising at that point and people were finding us organically. Mm, That's the best kind of organic marketing. Yeah, it really, really was. And we obviously had the the tailwinds of everybody being on their phones a lot more. So that was when we, at the end of that year, we looked at each other and went, okay, I think we're beyond the just don't fail Mm-hmm. Um, mode, which is what we had been in for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, as, as first time entrepreneurs, as people who are more risk averse, our entire 
our entire operation was just don't fail. We don't want to fail. Lawyers don't like to fail. Surviving instead of thriving. And then at some point you want to flip that around. (laughs) Totally. And, and, you know, especially I think for me, it was such an identity shift away from what I was doing before. And there are people who I've known for a very long time and have known me in different professional capacities. And I think some of them were like, this is amazing. You know, a lot of lawyers who were like, this is so great. You've gone off and done this. And then there were also people who probably couldn't understand what, why I had taken this hard right turn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it really was a matter of like, let's not fail so that I can kind of prove (laughs) that this is not a dumb idea. Yeah. And then in 2020, when we, we, we looked at each other and went, is it time to grow? I think mm. it's now happening. This is a wave we can ride. Let's do this. And, you know, I don't think we would have done it any differently, even if I look back now when things are so much harder. Mm. But that was, a, that was a moment. That was a moment where we went, I think this is it. Yeah. And I think there are future moments to come. Mm-hmm where there are pieces now as we pivot into a more multi-channel approach, not just D2C on our own website, there will be a moment. I'm, you know, I want that moment to come where we look at each other and go, this was the right idea. Mm -hmm. This was the pivot that we needed to get us to the next step. Yeah. And so we're in the thick of it. And I think the only way is through at this point, Mm -hmm. but that's, there are many, your question is so interesting because I think there's always times where you think it's great. And then there's always times where you think, nope, this is not working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, and it can yeah. shift so easily, right? I mean, I've <sighs> often referred to when I started my business, somebody told me, you'll see the high is going to be a lot higher and the lows are going to be a lot lower. And it's hundred percent true. I was no stranger to stress mm-hmm. on account of my prior career. Yeah. But I quickly learned how different it felt right? when it's your own and it is really high and really low. Mm-hmm. It was never really like that in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a different career. It was always kind of like high, but you know, we're also not saving lives. So I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we're still not here. I'd say, you know, you're sleeping better. And I think that's really important for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. that's the perspective we've had to keep taking. Mm-hmm. Right. But, oh yeah. The roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It's real. Yeah. And in terms of obstacles, what's something, what was a really low, low, something that made you question, you know, did I do the right thing starting this business? And I mean, maybe COVID time was, you know, was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there a moment where, you know, you felt like you might have to throw in the towel? I mean, candidly, I think it's, it's more, it's been more recent than it was in the early days. So we were profitable from day one, which is also, you know, yeah. And as a result, it allowed us to pursue growth Mm -hmm. and we did it. uh, The background is we did it with debt financing. Okay. Which, uh, you know, as, as when in my world where I was teaching other founders about what to do, that was one of the options. And the other option Mm -hmm. is equity and grants and, you know, some other puzzle pieces. But for us, debt made sense at the time and the, our performance also was supported by, you know, we could, we could get debt because of the way that our perform, our company was performing. And so a very smart development banker once told me that there will come a point where your growth will outpace your ability to finance it. Yeah. And he was very right. Mm-hmm. And so when we chose to grow, you know, in that 2020, 2021 era and started to make some investments into growth, that was still feeling actually very good. And we started to build a team, which is one of my favorite parts of all of this. It has been that ability to work with people and bring in people and run a team differently, frankly, than my past experience in yeah. other industries, right? Mm-hmm. And make choices and really be the decision maker on those pieces. So that was all really fantastic. And then I think we got into this, we, we are now in this, in this, everybody is in this economic climate where very hard decisions are having to be made personally for people and their spending habits. Uh, we see a lot of brands having to make some very hard decisions these days. Mm-hmm. And so when you, I, I'm sure everybody does have those moments where you think about throwing in the towel. I think honestly, I'm not, 
that's, that's not where our head necessarily goes. It's just a matter of what's the next right step. Figuring out how to get out of it. Yeah. And also get through, get through it. And some of them can feel like you're working backwards. Right. Or feel like you're rolling backwards. But I think it's because a lot of us founders started our businesses at a time where everything was going up Mm -hmm. all the time and nobody has seen the contraction piece of business. Whereas if you talk to a business owner who's been around for 30 years, growth and contraction is normal. They probably Mm -hmm. gone through three or four cycles of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's there, the pieces where you feel like you're rolling backwards, those are dark days Mm -hmm. pieces that just feel very heavy sometimes, Mm -hmm. but the perspective and and I think not very important not to go inwards at that point, because Mm -hmm. we need to talk to people who are going to say, I'm experiencing the exact same thing or I have been through this and here's what I can tell you. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that brings me a lot of peace in figuring out next steps. Absolutely. Peace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, what do you think makes you a good leader and how do you view leadership? What's your definition mm-hmm. of leadership and what are traits that, you know, you bring to your role now that you have a team, you're at the helm of a company. What does that look like for you? There's one piece from my legal days that has always stuck with me, which is the people in law is a little bit different. You don't necessarily have leaders. Everyone operates yeah. a little bit differently, but there were definitely people who I worked for and treated them as leaders. Mm-hmm. And one thing that stuck with me from the get go was uh, the best leaders to me don't have two faces, right? It's mm-hmm. not when everything's good, everything's great. And when they're not, they're kind of monsters, you know, that mm-hmm. never, that I, I experienced it too many times. And yeah. I, I swore to myself that that would never be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were able to lead a team, I also, the best leaders I've ever been around are ones who really truly walk the walk when they say, I'm going to empower you to make decisions and I'm going to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I absolutely have the tendency to want to have my eyes on everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) I also know there are so many things I don't know. Yeah. I did not, we did not come into this business understanding anything about most things. And yet Mm. we learned some things, but when it came to growth, the first piece that we put in place was uh, more marketing expertise because Mm -hmm. we knew that, we know how we feel about as consumers, but we didn't have a lot of that. My marketing background was from back, back, back way before law. And in a time where none of the things that happened in marketing now <laughs> were anything that were in textbooks back then. So I know we know what we don't know. And that mm-hmm. was the piece is, is mm-hmm. leaders need to understand what their own blind spots are yeah. and need to put people in place and then get out of the way. About that. Great, great definition. (laughs) That's been important to me. And, you know, I, I think, I think people on our team, I would hope would be able to say, yeah, that's generally how she operates. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are times where I, yeah, pull back a little bit. Um, It's it's hard to, it's hard to really embody that five days a week. Yeah. 30 days a month, you know? And I think the interesting thing about work nowadays is that in a lot of places, people are encouraged to um, bring their whole selves. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's always been the case. And I think in so true. other, in, in perhaps the large corporates, that's not true. But yeah. in a team this small, we all need to know what each other are contending with outside of yeah. these walls because yeah. it really plays a part in how we work together. So that's the other piece is I think we, I'm very careful because I don't really believe this having, having worked through a bunch of different industries and and workplaces, but I think it's wrong to consider your workplace, your family. I don't think Mm -hmm. that's how you're supposed to do this. I do think piece where everybody's human and we need to understand what's going on with everybody. There's a balance. There's a nuance between the two, like on a scale, you don't need to be going all the way. Maybe the last piece of leadership that I have found to be um, really instructive is the model of understanding that people aren't meant to be here forever. 
Mm-hmm. And, and again, understanding what they want to be and do outside of these walls is really important because if there comes a day where we can help you with that, yeah, then we want to know about it. And we don't expect that you're going to be here forever. Yeah. That's the piece that I think, I think leaders that struggle are ones who don't understand that this is not meant to be your life. Yeah. And uh, the good ones are the ones who actually want to help you with your overall goals outside of the business. Mm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well said again. again <laughs> and, <I said> it. <laughs> and based on, you know, these, your insights and you've had, you know, that wealth of experience in interestingly enough, different kind of spheres that have to do with, you know, one aspect of business and you've seen, you know, the legal side, you've seen the financing side and now you're an entrepreneur yourself. And so you're mm-hmm. seeing all sides of it. Yeah. Um, What's your top two pieces of advice to fellow women identifying entrepreneurs, maybe who are already in business or considering starting a business? What are things that maybe things you wish you knew when you started your own company? Oh boy. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll go back to that one that we were just chatting about, which was to understand that things are going to grow and things are going to contract and it's not failure it's not, that's not what that is. That's just uh, the life cycle of a business. Yeah. And the other piece that ties to that actually is something that I was always really, I still, I don't, I still don't think I like it, but the, t- the term lifestyle business always bothered me <laughs> back in the day, back in the day. But again, similarly to the looking around at all the female partners and thinking that's not how I want my life to be. I yeah. also now feel like oh, I was pretty naive to think that a lifestyle business was not something that somebody could want because frankly, it, it just means something different. But it, as a, as a person who runs one, that, that, that's meant to produce a good lifestyle. <laughs> Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and totally. so it's always, um, I always fought against that term. I still don't think I love it. I feel like there should be another way to put it, but mm. I do think it's very important for anyone who has started or is starting a business. Let's say if you haven't started it yet, you do really want to think about, and I told people this when I was, I, I went through, I go through periods where I, I teach people how to raise capital mm-hmm. and, and advise on that. And I tell them that I think it's really important to understand what your ultimate end is can't just do it step by step. You have to know the end so that you know where you're taking everybody. And so I think that's, that's important no matter what, even if you're not raising capital, you should always know what your end game is. And if your end game is, I want to have a business that allows me to have flexible hours, pay myself X dollars, Mm -hmm. then that's what you need to remember as your priorities. Your goal is I want to build a business that has a team of X number of people and here's how we want to do it. And then I want to sell to X. You also need to know that. Yeah. And the important thing that I realize in this six years now is that that's going to change over time. Absolutely. And so the piece that, you know, again, perhaps my age and the industries I've come from, I've had to work really hard on recognizing that you can change your mind. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have to make a call and then that's it, right? You no going back on it or or it's hard. Right? I echo that sentiment. And I think I think that's a mistake while well, entrepreneurs in general, and this applies to men as, as much as women, but when we go in, you know, having kind of that set plan and set path on how we're gonna get from A to B and then it's so hard when we have to accept that, no, the pivot and the timing might change. And then sometimes it's, it's a huge change for the business mission or how, you know, how things are done with yeah. and flexibility is probably one of the greatest qualities for an entrepreneur, right? Well, it requires really checking your ego at the Absolutely. door, right? Yeah. Because yeah. as a leader, you make choices and the, the ability to change your mind sometimes feels rooted in looking like a, a wishy-washy leader. Yeah. But I think most of changing your mind actually involves really strong communication. Absolutely. And if you have that, you can bring that vision to other people and have them understand why you're turning left now. Yeah. Instead of right. So yeah, that, that's a big one. And I, so I think it applies to everything in terms of entrepreneurship, but especially in that you can, as you see the business going forward, change your mind as to what you think is the future. Mm -hmm. 
And that's okay. It's hard. It's hard, especially if, um, as you had in, maybe if you're changing your mind, whatever you've put in place in order to make the first vision happen can be a bit sticky. Yeah. And so if you're going to change your mind, you have to recognize there's consequences of that to that piece. But, you know, I'd like to also think in a lot of cases, not as many as I'd like, but in a lot of cases, things are not irreversible. Exactly. And that's how I told myself how to make, that's so important. Yeah. And that's how I geared myself up to actually make the career changes I have, because listen, it would not be easy to go back to law, but it's not irreversible. I can't, the door's not shut. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that also, that is so valuable. Um, we had the Brennan's Female Summit in Toronto a few weeks ago and uh, a tech founder who was part of a panel, she talked about how she sees decisions as just leading to more decisions. Yeah. You know, yes, there's consequences when we make a choice, but her point was that she doesn't believe in making wrong decisions because mm. she says if she's made a decision that doesn't have the outcome she wishes for, she just makes a new decision from there. And then it, it same as you just said, nothing yeah. is irreversible. Our careers, are, you know, are, are yeah. a perfect example. And I think women now are more attuned to that. I love speaking to women entrepreneurs who started something new in their late fifties or sixties, yeah, right? I know. There's no, we don't need to be on this path forever and we can wake up tomorrow morning and make a major 180 shift in our professional life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to, to, to add on to that tech founders thought, I think, especially when things get really hard, my goal some days is to simply not make the decision that walks us into a dead end. <laughs> that's it. That's very it. smart. What's the next right decision that doesn't hit a dead end? And yeah. like, how do I play yeah. Pac Man in a way? Yeah, that- yeah, exactly. Figure out or game of Tetris, right? Don't block yourself in that corner. Yeah. And that's also so hard because uh, most founders have control issues too, yeah. right? And, and that is a complete lack of control. That's a yeah. Faith yeah. to say, I don't know, but this is probably the way to go at this fork in the road. And hopefully a wall doesn't come up now. Yeah. But if it does, we'll either figure our way out or, or, you know, maybe that mm-hmm. is, maybe that is game over, but yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll have learned. <laughs> well, it is game over for one aspect of something, but then you can turn around and start something new or a new iteration of whatever you were doing. Well, thank you so much for all your insights. And um, we're doing a very fun event together in Vancouver. So we're excited to be at your space, in your space on November 15th. Um, can't wait, uh, can't wait to be in, in the showroom and to see all the beautiful bedding in, in person and congratulations on what you've achieved. Can't wait to see what the next milestones are for Willit. So thank you so much, Vivian. We're happy to, happy to share. Thank you so much for listening to the Brandis Female Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to our editor, Isabel Morris, and our editorial manager, Mackie Domingo. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com to learn more. Yeah.